All right. <clears throat> so uh, we are talking about uh, it being New Year's, and uh, because we are going into the High Holy Holiday of New Year's, which I think for most people caps off their season of Christmas before we enter into the next religious holiday, St. Valentine's Day. Um, which it probably is already if you've been to Dollar General. I may or may not have already bought some of those little conversation hearts because I know some people think they taste like chalk, but I think they taste amazing. So, um, but uh, we're, talk we're going into New Year's, and so it seemed fit to talk about New Year's resolutions, right? Um, I, think, I think this is a reasonable thing. So uh, I decided to do what I like to do best, which is um, I spent my spare time looking up statistics and math. So I looked up a few things, and there's a lot of studies on New Year's. That should not be shocking. It's cultural phenomenon and all that kind of stuff, so a lot of people have studied uh, New Year's resolutions. So I found one in particular that was from Ohio State University, and as I said in the home church video, I call it Ohio State University, not the Ohio State University, because that's just dumb and pretentious. So I'm not calling it the Ohio State University, regardless of what they say their official name is. So at Ohio State University, they had a study that I thought it just it covered seemed to cover all the bases pretty good without going off. You know, a lot of these go in kind of weird directions where like they want to take like a health bent or a finance bent. This one just went resolutions. What do people do? And here's what it said. By the end of the year, you only have about 9% sticking to the resolutions. Now, I didn't look it up this year, but I know from looking up some of this stuff in the past and previous years and youth and all that, it's actually a very low percentage of people that even form resolutions at all. I want to say it's, I'm going to make it up and you can Google fact check me, whatever later. I want to say, I know it's less than 50%. I'm wanting to say it's closer to like a third or something like that, maybe 40%. But it's somewhere around there that uh, people who actually even bother to make a resolution now. And so of those, only 9% of the people who even bother to make one stick with it, right? Not very good. It sounds even worse when you turn around and say almost a quarter of them don't even last a week. Which is very intuitive if you really think about it. Like if you think about the resolutions people have talked about and how much people's hearts are really in it, you know, a quarter of them dropping off, like that makes sense. By the time you hit the end of January, it's approaching 50%. It's 43% is the number they came up with. But approaching half of the people by the end of January don't stick with it. Um, if anything, it's almost impressive that over half the people are still like going at it after a month. Cause usually, you know, when you talk about habit forming behavior, it's like, um, you know, depending on what kind of thing you're talking about, you know, a lot of people kind of say six weeks, you know, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, it's usually in that, that area. So, um, so that being said, uh, you, you know, you look at these numbers and you go like, oh man, it's not very good. Um, another thing that I uh, put in the home church video is I said, you know, some of us may have resolutions or things that we think that we would like to do. Um, some of us may have hit that point where we're, we're just kind of being honest with ourselves at this point, just going, I'm not going to do it. Like, I'm not going to keep up with it, even if I make a resolution. So I'm just going to skip to the end point and just go, well, no, I didn't do anything any different. Um, but if anybody does turn around and say, I have a new year's resolution, that skeptical part of me, I was talking about, you know, we were kind of opening up can look at it and go like, okay, cool. Well, you're not going to stick with it. I'm not saying I'm not rooting for you. I'm just saying, statistically speaking, you're probably not going to stick with it. Right. Um, so how do you make certain that you stick with a resolution? 
Um, a lot of these things are very intuitive, especially if you have a background working with anything technical, then these things may be very familiar because you always talk about, like people talk about good requirements, right? And they say good requirements are what? They're measurable, they're specific, something else. I don't work with requirements. Uh, you know, but like good requirements have certain things that they are, right? And really resolutions aren't really all that different. Um, you know, being selective. One of the things I saw, it actually talked about being picky. You know, so looking at it and saying, don't just kind of willy-nilly be like, oh, I'm going to pick something to go do. Like if you're actually on a path to say like, I want to take advantage of this kind of time of the year where other people are kind of doing the same thing and say, I'm going to commit to X. Well, don't just like pick something because it's trendy or cool or because you saw it on TikTok. Meredith, don't pick it just because you saw it on TikTok. Uh, you know, pick something because it's, you know, something that's like a specific thing that you really have a reason to stick with, right? Um, you know, it talks about the fact that there's like a deliberateness to it, that there's a sense of planning that goes along with uh, a resolution that, you know, you can't just expect uh, this sense of commitment to happen, right? And this is something, I mean, think about any other commitment in your life, and I think you'll find that that is, that is the case. Any type of commitment to anything takes a degree of work. Commitment to people, commitment to positions, commitment to a job, like what, whatever it is, takes a level of actual deliberateness of planning. Um, we talked about like with those requirements, being specific, you know, so having, not just sitting here saying like, I'm gonna eat better, but turning around and saying, I'm going to, whatever, reduce my carb intake. Like having something specific that you can actually point at. So, um, you know, you kind of go down these things and it, it's stuff that, again, doesn't, it, it doesn't sound like rocket science at all. You know, somebody who has a degree in rocket science, I can tell you at least academically, this is not rocket science. Um, you know, you know, maintaining accountability, um, not taking on too much, allowing resolutions to actually become a habit, and stick, you know, being willing to stick with something for long enough that it actually becomes a habit. These are all things that we've heard of in the past, but what I want to point out is how these exact same behaviors apply to our spiritual lives as well. These exact same types of, of paradigms are things that we struggle with as well when it comes to our relationships with God. Um, you know, people who are new converts, you end up seeing this all the time. People who have decided, I'm going to commit my life to Christ. Well, these are people who, um, you know, have a level of excitement. They know they want to do something different. They know that they want to live different. But despite the fact that they want to live different, they have a hard time sticking with it. So, um, so these individuals, they end up you know, running into very similar types of things. And this is something that I was talking with one of my uh, buddies at work, and he was saying that a lot of people who end up joining his particular denominational faith, a lot of them go through a lot of the things that you know, we're, a lot of us are familiar with and more like liturgical traditional churches where they'll have like a program or something that you'll go through that'll sit here and say, okay, you're going to go through this program and because you go through this program, you're going to learn what it means to be a part of our faith, a part of our denomination, and, and you're going to go through and you, you learn a lot about what it means to be insert denomination, you know, to be Anglican, to be Lutheran, to be Catholic, to be whatever. Um, and oftentimes what happens, what this guy was telling me, is that for his particular denomination that you have people come out of this program and because they've been inundated with all of this, like this is what it means to be this type of Christian, then they get very, very, very like animated. They get very like overly zealous, you know, about what it means to be this kind of renewed formed Christian. 
Um, but what ends up happening is that 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 zeal almost kind of lacks some of the same backing that a lot of other good commitments have, and so they end up faltering. And, and I guess what this made me think of is there's this uh, verse that comes out of uh, Romans 12, 11, that says, do not lack diligence in zeal, be fervent in the spirit. And I guess the reason why I like that so much is because a lot of Christians that I like, I, I kind of, this is a, a bad phrase, but it's kind of the only one I have. I like to think of it as almost kind of like enlightened believers. And I don't mean that as in like super progressive or anything like that. I'm just saying like people who are trying to seek the God of the thing through all the noise of kind of how humans have traditionally done faith and religion and beliefs and everything. Um, I think a lot of us, what we end up seeing or being pitted in between are a lot of individuals that are very traditional in their faith beliefs, right? That there's this very reserved, almost stoic way of doing things. But then on the other end, you have kind of like very evangelical type of people and personalities where it's almost like if you're not screaming and bouncing off the walls and, you know, doing all this other kind of crazy stuff, then you're not a real believer because you don't really have the fire of the spirit in you. Um, it makes me think, you know, Meredith was reading something to me uh, just yesterday where uh, there was some person that, that she, she's following on social media that said, or in her book that she was reading that said, uh, some of you guys, uh, you know, uh, who, who want to get into Christianity uh, will jump into like the Pentecostal church. And jumping into the Pentecostal church, if you're new to Christianity, that's kind of like the straight whiskey of Christianity. You need to go and start out as Baptist because they don't do anything. You just need to go in there. That's like sipping milk and water and everything and kind of take some of that. And then you can figure out what you want to do. But, you know, the thing is, is that there's a lot of people out there who will say that if you want to have zeal in Christianity, if you want to have passion, you want to have fire and you want to have faith, then you need to be bouncing off the walls and kooky and crazy and all that. And I'm sorry, I just don't have that in me all the time. I'm not saying I don't have the drive and the compassion and the dedication. I'm just saying that, like, sometimes that, like, inner, like, reclusive engineer in me is just like, I'm done peopling for a bit, you know? I'm, I'm, I, I can't jump out and be bonkers on the street and all that. And, you know, for a long time, you know, growing up, especially kind of surrounded by this wave of evangelicalism around me, I kind of looked at that and went, like, does that make me a less good Christian because I'm not that way. I'm not one of these people. I don't feel comfortable just going out on the corner and holding my Bible up and thwacking it a bunch of times until people start saying like, oh my God, you're right. You know, all this stuff really is true. So, I mean, what's wrong with me? Am I not as good of a Christian? But what you end up finding out is that so many of those people that we're talking about who have that initial zeal or have that initial excitement, if it's not rooted in anything that is substantive, if there's not a sense of diligence to their zeal, then they end up falling away as soon as they're tested. There's, uh, as you might imagine, there are things in the Bible about this. There's the whole parable of like the seeds, right? And so you have this parable of the seeds that comes out of uh, Matthew 13. So I'll put it on the screen, but it's pretty small, so you might need to use your Bibles for this one. But in Matthew 13, verses 3 through 9, we end up reading Christ's parable about these seeds. It says, Then he, Christ, told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched. 
And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. And the reason why I like this so much in the context of this sense of zeal, this sense of coming up with, I guess, our spiritual resolutions and, and maybe not having that sense of diligence to it, is because you can kind of see different examples of people that are overly enthusiastic maybe uh, emotionally about their faith, but then they lack all the stuff that's needed to make that be a real thing in their lives. In verse 4, when it says, he, uh, as, he sowed some, uh, as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. I look at this and I think about people who are in high-risk surroundings. So people where it's like they're out there, they're sitting there, and you have the seed, it's sitting there, but then you have these, these, this predatory world around them that can easily pick them off. And so you have these individuals that are never, never able to achieve that sense of that, 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 that rooting that they need because other things just yank them away. I could tell you that doing youth, I saw this all the time, that you would have people, and it, it's something that if you want to talk about something feeding into your sense of cynicism, you have these, these conferences, you know, where people will go up. And, and I, you know, I, I, would, I would be dishonest if I said I didn't think that there was a large amount of emotional manipulation that sometimes goes on at those things because teenagers are emotional people. And so you'd have these people, they come up and they have this big experience. I'm not saying that they weren't having a legitimate experience, but they, they have this big experience, spiritual awakening, so to speak, and they'd come to the front and they'd come to the altar and they'd do all the things, and then the second they left, they would go back to just their old life, doing whatever they wanted to do before. And so often it was because they were surrounded by birds that were going to pick them off. Sometimes those birds were vices that they had been into in the past. Sometimes that was their friend group. Sometimes, if I'm being blunt, it was their family who wasn't supportive of what they were doing. Sometimes those families were people who went to the church. But you had people that were around them that quickly picked them off so they weren't able to achieve the route that they needed. So their zeal that they had initially just went away. You also have, um, in verse 5, other seed falling on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, so it grew up quickly, but then when the sun came out, it scorched. You end up having this right here, and you have people who have those weak foundations. They have those weak foundations, and so they may have something initially. There may actually be something good. They get into church. They get into youth group. They get into whatever their men's group is or whatever, and they get super excited, and so they quickly be like, yay, I'm all into this. I want to change my life. I'm going to have a new life. I'm going to make my, new, my, my spiritual resolution here that I'm going to you know, live anew and, and, and all that, but because there's not a lot of substance underneath the change that's happened, they end up withering away the second the sun comes out. To make that more real, I would say people who get super, 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 super excited about Jesus, but yet they don't actually understand who this Jesus is or what it means to have Jesus in their life because people are afraid that, you know, the Bible study might scare them away or that, like, you know, the theology might be too much or something like that. What ends up happening is the second the world comes in and says, oh, I'm not going to hold back. The second the world comes in and says, I'm not going to hold back with this health scare that you're going to go through. 
I'm not going to hold back with this divorce that you're going to be faced with now. I'm not going to hold back with this financial situation that's going to be induced upon you. The world's not going to hold back what it does to overburden these new plants. And so when we refuse to help bolster the soil underneath these new believers or old believers who are trying to make a commitment to be something better, then quickly they wither away because they don't have the root to sustain it. There's a reason why every single time we start a service, I always try to point out that uh, how God has been working in our lives, specifically pointing out the things God has been doing to work with us, to bless us, to bolster us. Because yes, we can talk about prayer needs. We can do that. And we do that. We talk about prayer needs on Wednesdays. If you, if you want to come up with all of your needs and all your burdens, hop on the call on Wednesdays. We have a prayer call. It's an awesome time. But we focus at the beginning of our services about these times that God is building on us and working on us and is working around us because so often that is the fertilizer that we need on the soil of our lives to help our roots stay strong so that we know as we go through trials that being a Christian isn't about just simply having problems but then also having Jesus over here in the corner. Instead, it's about the fact that the, that you're, the roots of your life are drawing everything, all of its strength, every sense of blessing and everything good in your life comes from what God is giving you. And that leads to strong, strong, strong roots. So that as you go through the trials that you are going to face in this life, you are better able to endure the beating sun. You're able to resist the temptation to just simply wither away. The last thing that you, know, you end up seeing in here, and it's the reason why I love this, is what's in verse 7. This is something that I think especially the types of individuals so often that our church has kind of attracted, I feel like can really resonate with this. In verse 7 when it says, Other seed fell among thorns, and thorns came up and choked it. I look at that and I think of other Christians. I think of other people who maybe, I'm not saying like, you know, ranking Christians and all that, but people who come up and profess the name of Christ with their mouth, but then yet you look at their actions and their actions are weaponized or their actions are oppressive. People who will look at a new believer and instead of taking a new believer and looking at the blessing of the fact that God has brought this new believer in, maybe they still got problems in their life. Maybe they're still struggling with things. Maybe they're still doing all that, but we will work on them and we will bring them into this family so that they understand, so that the soil is tended to and it's fertilized so they have deep roots. Instead of all that, we're going to look at it and say, you're not being a good enough Christian. You're not, you're not excited enough for this, so you must not really be doing this. You know, I, in my mind, I sit here and think of, you know, an individual who sat here and, and looked at a room of others and just said, like, well, you know, you're not pray, you're, you guys are not worshiping loud enough. So I don't see how you could possibly think that you are glorifying God because, I mean, just look at how loud other people are when they worship, and you guys are all just, just quiet and stoic and all that. So you must not really be worshiping. I look at that, and I sit there, and I think... You are being a thorn choking off these other young plants. If your intent is to go to a young Christian or maybe not a young Christian, maybe somebody who's been doing this for a long time who just wants to improve in this area of life or that area of their life, the worst thing you can do is remind them of all the areas where they are deficient. You're going to somebody and building them up. Accountability doesn't mean smashing them over the head with all of their flaws. The intent should be that 
God's goodness and God's standard and God's graciousness, that, that, that God's sense of goodness is what actually illuminates our flaws. If you want to sit here and go into this big, deep rabbit hole, I'd sit here and say that was the whole purpose of the law. The whole purpose of the law was that you don't need your buddy to come up to you and tell you where you're doing bad because God, through God's law, told us where we were deficient and therefore you needed Jesus. And so why today so many Christians fall into recreating that and turning around saying, well, you know, I don't know if the law of God is sufficient. I don't know if the word of God is sufficient. So instead of helping somebody to understand the word of God better and understanding Jesus better, I better make certain they know that they're not a real Christian. It, it just boggles my mind. And so, so many Christians will end up finding themselves becoming a part of the church, not becoming unchurched, being a part of the church, but then falling away because they look at it and they say, I guess, I just, I guess I'm just not good enough to do this Christianity thing. And so they walk away. That's why in our country, we have such a big epidemic of not unchurched people, but of formerly churched people. Like people who were in a prior sense churched, but now today are not because they had these thorns choked them off. But our job as Christians who want to be a part of the solution is to look into being a part of that verse 8. It says, still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruits, some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. That is what we should be doing is trying to foster that good fertile ground in the lives of other individuals to helping people have the sense of substance that they, can, that they can bite into. And we do that by giving them opportunities to, to be a part of, of you know, groups, to be a part of either Bible study groups, or even if they're not Bible study groups. I mean, groups where I know that a lot of times the, the girls' groups that get together and do things, you know, they have a Bible study, but you know what? A lot of times they're not doing Bible study. A lot of times, like, you guys just go out and eat and everything. And you never invite me, but that's fine. I know I'm not one of the girls. You know, I mean, I'm, I like to think I'm, I'm, I'm in touch with some feminine side. I've, I've owned some Aeropostale in my life, you know. But, like, you know, but the point is, you guys go and you have that sense of fellowship. And because of that, you have these relationships that have been built. I know that I've, I've heard some of you guys, like, say, like, uh, you know, in church, like, man, I'm thankful I have this relationship now that I've built. And so even having that, that sense of community is something that helps to build that fertile ground. Yes, Bible study is a part of it, encouraging people and giving people the opportunities to do things that are like getting better about praying and, and, and meditating on the word and things like that. I've always said, it's one of the other things I've carried over from youth ministry, that I'm a big fan of putting the opportunity out there for people to do the right thing, knowing full well that most people won't. And I think that is one of the reasons why when we have things like, uh, honestly, when we do when we do prayer call, there have, there have been a couple of times where, you know what, just because things are going on, you know, there's like a medical thing going on or, or you know, people being sick or out or something like that, where... Uh, you know, sometimes the temptation, at least early on, not anymore, but like early on kind of temptation was to go like, you know what, let's just call it. Let's just call it because, you know, there's only like one person available or there's only like one person really available and the other person would be hard and all that. But, you know, now it's kind of gotten to the point where, um, you know what, every now and then, uh, I, I know I've done it and I'm pretty certain you guys have done it too, but like every now and then, like I'll, I'll get on there and just because of the way the crazy week went and everything, I'm the only one on there. But you know what? You go on there and you sit there and you still have your time of prayer and all that because the opportunity is there. You are making certain that people know that anytime you are ready to have a deeper relationship with Christ, I am here to be there for you. 
This is something that Meredith and I learned when we started, when we first, I guess we're, we're you know, learning to be doing the adulting thing, um, as the millennial phrase goes. Like we were adulting and, and getting into Sunday school. And as we were doing that, we kind of got into a Sunday school class that was neat. It was all the younger adults and everything. I, I, I looked around and kind of said it was like the cool kids. So like Meredith and I were kind of like over here and then there was the cool kids. Um, but what happened is a lot of them went on vacation. And that's when we learned that uh, a lot of times in this community, when one person goes on vacation, everybody goes on vacation. And so we found ourselves literally for a period of, I don't know, five, six weeks or more, like sitting in that Sunday school classroom by ourselves. And after we had only been going there a couple of weeks, but you know, we sat there and every week we came in and like, we sat there together as a couple in that Sunday school room. And we did our little like Sunday school lesson. We did our Bible study and everything. And several times we had individuals come up to us and say like, they were very nice. They said like, why don't you guys come over into our classroom over here? We have one over here. Um, that's, you know, with, you know, it's kind of a different gr group, but you know, we have a group over here and you guys can come join us because we don't want you to be alone. Um, and that was good. What they were saying was very good, very kind hearted, not knocking them at all. But the reason why Meredith and I sat where we were was because we said, but one day somebody's going to come in looking for this kind of group. And if there's nobody here, then there's nobody here. And so sure as the world, we sat there for a while and then somebody else started joining us. And then a couple more people started joining. And then some of the people came back from vacation. Like before you knew it, that class like got real big, you know, again. So being a part of the solution means being a part of that fertile ground. Now, there's one other thing that I guess I would go to, at least scripturally, to point to um, what it means to be living a fertile life. Because we talk, we were talking a lot just now on what it means to give fertile ground, you know, provide that to other individuals. Well, what does it mean for us ourselves to be living a life that fosters that fertile ground? And one of the things that I think is kind of interesting is when you look at the scriptural example of people living their lives in a way that you can tell it is deeply rooted. It is actually built on some sense of substance is it kind of looks boring. And I don't mean that as in I'm saying people's calling is mundane, because clearly there's people in the Bible that are called to all kinds of crazy, miraculous, glorious things. But I mean, when you look at their day-to-day -day conduct, you look at how they react to the world around them, it, it's kind of remarkably unremarkable. And this is kind of what I'm talking about. You look at this thing that comes out of Romans 12, and this is something that in your Bibles in Romans 12, it'll... Um, uh, the, the heading will probably say something like Christian ethics. And this is what you end up reading in this section, Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who per persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay evil. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in, for in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his heads. 
Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. As you look through this entire lesson that Paul gives us, what you see is the picture of an individual that we today would describe as a very nice person, a very peaceful person, a very content person. But it's not anybody that would make the headlines. This is not anybody that you would see that would be a spectacle. And so often what I feel like happens is that, you know, a sense of zeal and a sense of passion in your faith becomes a form of spiritual voyeurism, where it's like people think that the more people who can look at my magnificent display of my spirituality, that validates how good I am with Christ. While in reality, when you look at what Paul talks about as living a life that is actually fruitful, something that is actually edifying to the soul, it's something that looks very peaceful. To me, the one that stuck out to me was that verse 12 where it says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. I was just looking at some video clips from a Facebook group that I, that I, that I follow um, that'll, that'll kind of find these little things out there on the internet and whatnot. And um, it was showing one of these, uh, you know, kind of you know, big hoopla type, type services, uh, like healing services or whatever, where, you know, you had individuals that were coming up and they were, you know, uh, some of them were like giving testimonies and saying like, I have all these things that are wrong with me and all that. But then, you know, they were kind of start, you know, uh, yelling about like what, you know, well, God's going to do this and God's going to do that. And it was a lot of like almost getting into like prosperity gospel-y kind of stuff. Like God's going to do this. You just have to name it, proclaim it and all that kind of stuff. And when I was listening to all of this, I guess I was kind of looking at that and going, how opposite of what Paul describes right here is that type of behavior. I'm not saying that there are not people who have afflictions that absolutely get supernatural intervention in their lives where God heals them or God provides the opportunities that there's no reason why those opportunities should exist to get help or that, that God brings them through that maybe that, that, you know, that God just kind of, you know, is, 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 permitting things to happen the way they happen, but that God is providing the strength and the peace and everything that's needed in those situations. But when you look at those individuals who come on the tail end of their journey, they're able to see Christ so clearly. And I think it's interesting how often the most powerful uh, testimonies that we have are of people who are looking at what's happening as it's happening. And you can almost see them you can almost see them working through, like discerning, like, I, I, I feel like I can see God working in my life. I feel like I can see God giving me this peace. And then they get to the tail end and they can see, man, I see God all over how that thing just happened. And I guess the reason why I like that so much is because when I think about how incomprehensible the power, the love, and the might, and the grace of our God is, that actually makes a lot of sense that that's exactly how you would experience God. I think about the times that I have experienced God, and I feel like it's been the exact same thing, that you almost go through it, and, and, and God in his kind of you know, incomprehensible ways works in your life, and it leads to these situations where you almost get towards the very end, and then you go, wow, that, that was God the whole time, where it kind of dawns upon you. God speaks to us in all kinds of different ways, okay? So if God speaks to you in a loud, boisterous way, then God bless. If your, your calling, if your, your compassion you know, leads you to a place of being loud and boisterous about your faith, that's great. Be forward about your faith. 
Like we see all over, we see all over the scriptures, be bold, you know, do not be afraid. We see all these things all over and over and over again. So live that faith boldly. But what I would caution against is trying to live a life in which we are manufacturing our own spiritual situations. To be careful to not let our zeal get out of hand and be without diligence. As Paul says, to instead of getting ahead of ourselves and and trying to, you know, be voyeuristic about how our faith is on display, stop and let God be God. Let God take the helm. And sometimes what that means is that we live a life that to others might actually seem like it's a little bit bland. It's a little bit mundane. But you see, there's actually something genius in this advice. It's not just something to sit here and say that I'm, I'm cynical about anybody who is a type A personality and screaming and yelling and all that. But instead, it's looking and trying to understand the wisdom in what John the Baptist understood. What he talks about in John 3 verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. I think you can see that live out in your life when you're willing to take your own desires to, to be crazy and passionate about your faith. You're willing to stop and say, how about I let God be God and how about I become less? And in doing that, maybe God will use me to be something that is loud and in people's face. Maybe God will use me to do things that are big and bold. But if God's going to use me, I need to discern that God is using me. And I need to be careful not to try to create God's opportunities because God doesn't need you to create the opportunity. He will do it on his own. And I think that what will ultimately lead to our roots being on much firmer ground is being willing to stop forcing the issue and instead see where God is already working. Because as we see those instances of God's faithfulness and God's love in our lives, that will make us stronger than anything we try to put together ourselves. So that as we encounter the birds of the world that try to snatch us away, or as we encounter the, the sun beating down on us from things that we run into in life, or as we interact maybe with those other Christians that are thorns that try to choke us off, we're able to continue to persist. Because we have deep roots, not based on a God of our own making, but based on a God that has made himself evident. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the word that you continue to give us, for the wisdom that you show us through your, uh, through your scriptures. We just pray that you would help us to reduce ourselves when we need to be reduced and to allow you to take center stage. Help us to be able to discern when our, our passions and when our emotions are just kind of getting the best of us and help us to be able to see when you may be driving us to, to act boldly, to do things in your name. Regardless of what it is we find ourselves in or where we feel called to act or where we feel called to, to serve, help us to do so in a way that glorifies you and glorifies you alone. Not, not glorifying our own display of our piety and not glorifying our, our own sense of righteousness, but glorifies your name alone. We pray these things through your son's precious holy name. Amen.